Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Coming up on this edition of the TV Black Box 101 podcast is a man responsible for what you see on Channel 7 and how you see it. It's time to delve into the mind of a television programmer. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. Joining me now is Angus Ross, appointed Director of Programming in February 2012 at Channel 7 and is responsible for the commissioning and acquisitions of all entertainment contests across Seven West Media's suite of channels, 772, 78, 7 Flicks and 7 Plus. It's a big portfolio. Angus Ross, thanks for joining me. Nice to be here, Aaron. Thank you for having me. It's been a, uh, a long time coming. You've been pestering me on this for uh, quite some time and I finally relented. So here I am. And there's a lesson learned. Pestering does work after a while. <laughs> All right. I want to go right back. I'm, I'm guessing when you were 10 years old, your future thought career path was not necessarily head of programming at Channel 7. Um, as you were wrapping high school, what career was in the back of your mind? I mean, you did a Bachelor of Business in Marketing, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I was at uh, university, um, I, I wanted to go into advertising uh, back then. Um, but look, I'd, I'd always been quite a voracious consumer of, of TV and movies across the, the 1970s and the 1980s when I was when I was growing up. And I, and I was always very interested in US TV ratings uh, and schedules and Australian TV ratings and schedules. Um, I mean, that sounds pretty nerdy when I say it out loud, <laughs> but it took, it took me, uh, you know, a, a few years uh, uh, post-university to eventually uh, find my way uh, into into television. But yeah, back in the day, I, I thought I wanted to go into uh, into advertising. So sort of that's that's why I was, did the, you know, Bachelor of Business in, in marketing. So what was your first professional job and how did you get into that? Uh, look, well, I, I, I really owe my first uh, break to uh, a woman called uh, Carolyn McFarlane. Uh, she used to read the news on uh, on nine in Adelaide back in the sort of later 70s, early 80s. And uh, after meeting her through through friends of my family, she sort of mentored me out of a bit of a post-university slump and uh, helped me to get a gig at the South Australian Film Corporation where I was uh, working to promote uh, South Australia as a, as a filming location. Right. So I did that for um, you know, quite a, a short period of time and then I... I moved to a, uh, a marketing role at, uh, at Channel 9 in, in Adelaide after that. All right. So prior to Seven, um, you also worked as a consultant for television research group Audience Development Australia. 
what did that involve? And, and was that the, I suppose, in to commercial television? Yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, Dave, Dave Castron, who is the owner of Audience Development, he plucked me out of Adelaide and uh, together we, we worked for most of the networks and we were doing ratings analysis, pilot testing, and, and also we were developing the personality cue scores. So I got to meet a lot of the, um, the programmers and various heads of production um, across all the networks. Um, you know, back in the day, it was it was a pretty pretty busy time for me there. It was a cranking business, and a number of programming people who are working in TV today did um, did stints at audience development um, after I uh, after I departed in in '99. All right. So uh, so how did the opportunity come up at Seven, and uh, what was your first role there? Well, in, in, I, I felt I needed a change after a couple of years at, uh, at ADA and uh, a marketing role came up at seven that I saw advertised. So I applied for that. And um, Peter Janetsky, who was running marketing at seven at the, the time, interviewed me, but then he offered up a, a more senior role looking after all the programming research, which is where I would work for uh, Chris O'Mara, who was the uh, program director at the time. Then when, um, when Tim Warner and John Stevens took over programming and production, uh, they must have liked the cut of my jib because they decided <laughs> I'd be mentored by Steve-O um, into the scheduling um, and acquisitions role. So really I owe those guys and, um, and David Leckie a lot for the, um, the opportunities that they gave me. You know, they trusted me and backed me. And I also worked very closely with um, the late Brad Lyons for, for a very long mm. period. And, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of larger-than-life personalities across the seven exec team back then, including our current CEO, James James Warburton. You know, we had a very very good run for a long time, um, but you uh, you know, in in that sort of company with all those big personalities, you, you certainly can't afford to be any sort of uh, shrinking violet. <laughs> <laughs> really, really have to stand up for yourself um, amongst those sort of people. Well, you obviously work with a team like all those people that you've just said for quite a period of time at seven before getting the top job. Um, what were the strong takeout lessons from the teams that uh, guide your thinking today? Yeah, look, as I said, they were, they were a, a great group of people to work with and, and learn from. Uh, I, I think, you know, particularly with, you know, from Steve-O, I think he really taught me to, to chase down every rating share point across every day part and you know really understand your audience you know if you, they're not your inner city mates he always used to used to crap on about <laughs> um and uh and, and really that you know they taught me how how to how to sell a show um to um to an audience so um th those are probably the the key the key things i, I took away from them and they're, they're pretty good um you know i think uh, planks to take you forward well, let's talk about Seven as it is now. James Warburton has come in with a new strategy and a lot of old formats like MKR were rested. Um, can you tell us more about that new strategy? Yeah, look, here at Seven, we're working to what we believe is a very clear plan and we've got a, a highly skilled and motivated exec team carrying out a plan to transform the company. Uh, you know, when you look at our company, the bricks in the wall, we've got a very, very good baseline, I think. You know, at Seven, we've got the dominant news brand across all day parts, with dominant summer sport, dominant winter sport. You know, AFL's just killing it at the moment. We've got home and away, better homes. The building blocks, 
you know have have always been there for us for quite some for quite some time. Um, in terms of our, our seven thirty pm content strategy, when when James arrived, you know it was it was really no secret that a number of our seven studio formats were tired, and there was nothing new coming down the internal pipe to replace those formats. You know, the, the the creation of your own format IP. Uh, through something like Seven Studios, it's, it's a very high risk and painful process that requires heavy investment. And, and after the initial success of, you know, brands like MKR and House Rules, it, it just wasn't delivering for us. Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing that people don't understand, and, and I can be very clear on this, is that the money you earn from a successful format from overseas sales, it, it's nothing versus the money you can earn from, you know, an extra rating SharePoint and turning that into, into advertising revenue. So we made, we made a decision that we're out of the program development business and we've now got the freedom and the budget to commission what we want to feed that 7.30 p.m. stripped entertainment schedule. And that strategy is now completely externally focused, an externally focused commissioning strategy where we're choosing proven international formats. Now, clearly not all of them will work, but it's certainly less risky than our previous strategy. So if you look at last year, we've recommissioned three of our new formats, uh, being Big Brother, Farmer Wants a Wife, and SAS Australia. And when we look at kind of where we are with this, um, with this new content approach, we're in year two of a three-year plan to completely rebuild our schedule. So when you look at our schedule this year, versus 2019, outside of Australia's Got Talent, the schedule's 100% new. So I, I, ha I haven't seen a, um, a, a schedule rebuild happen this fast anywhere before, um, but it was something very necessary that, uh, that we had to do. So um, yeah, we're, we are doing it with, um, with much haste. Well, I guess with maths out of the way, Seven is doing really well. But even outside of um, Big Brother, I mean, you've mentioned these uh, AFL, Home and Away, uh, even The Chase, uh, even your US imports like 911 and The Good Doctor are holding their own. So is it fair to say the strategy is working? Look, we've, um, we've won the last four weeks and we'll win this week as well, I believe. So that'll be five weeks for us versus nine weeks for nine after their, you know, their very successful Q1. We've still got a lot of catching up to do after Q1, much like we did last year. And you remember at the end of um, 2020, it actually ended up being bloody close for the year. Um, with our schedule for the remainder of the year, I'm, I'm confident it's going to be, again, very close and a tight race to the finish. Um, but, you know, year, year to date, clearly we've got uh, more work to do on, on Q1. Uh, given what um, given what happened this year, it's an issue. Um, but look, things like um, AFL very strong, Big Brother strong, um, Home and Away is having a real purple patch in terms of the the ratings at the moment, and it's also so important for us in that um, in that streaming environment on um, on Seven Plus as well. Well, I'll get back to. Q1 in a moment, but uh, in those shows I mentioned, The Chase, uh, Larry Emder is coming in. There's been a few articles about the positivity and reception to Larry. Can you tell us how filming is going and and when the Larry episodes are likely to air? Uh, look, from all reports, it's 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 going re really well. Larry's just a total pro. 
and, and in terms of those Larry episodes, I think you'd have to say, you know, somewhere around the Olympics seems as, as good a place as any to launch those episodes. <laughs> I, I gather the plan is to play out every single episode of the Andrew O'Keefe run and then just make a fresh start with um, Larry. Is that the plan? Yeah, look, that's that's um, that's always been the plan, despite uh, you know various press reports to the the the, con- the contrary. It's 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 always been our plan. All right. So before we look ahead, um, let's look go back for a moment about that Q1. Nine uh, had a delayed Australian Open and therefore an extended maths period, and you started the year off differently, obviously without my kitchen rules. Holy moly, was in there. A lot of great reviews, but. Perhaps the episodes were too long on too many nights a week. What was your take on Holy Moly? Look, it, it launched very strongly, obviously. Um, and, you know, across the series, it improved our performance significantly versus My Kitchen Rules at the same time last year, particularly in the demos. But, you know, it faded faster than, than we'd hoped. Uh, we, we really loved the production, had no issues with that. I, I didn't think the episodes were actually too long, but... You know, perhaps the uh, the multi night strategy uh, maybe was a bit much, given you know a bit of the sameness probably in terms of the the holes being used and and that sort of thing. But in terms of the quality of of the production, um, we were we were very happy with it. But yeah, just just faded a bit faster than we hoped. So, uh, do you think we'll see Holy Moly in twenty twenty two in a perhaps revised format? Uh, look, the show, the show is very expensive and to make it financially viable, you know, we need to, we need to have those overseas countries that want to come in and, and use the, uh, and, and use our set to come in and, and, um, you know, shoot off the back of, of those folks. Uh, and look, unfortunately with, with the, the border situation, I, I can't see that happening anytime soon, but, but when it does, it's, um, it's certainly something I think that we we would consider again if we um, if you know if we can get the right promo hook for it to bring it to bring it back you know how's it going to be different those those sorts of things so it's definitely still on on our radar and you know we're talking to Eureka about it pretty regularly but it it, it is it is border dependent as um, you know as a, as a number of shows are. Fair enough. Uh, next up was uh, Ultimate Tag. Now, networks are very cautious about saying negative things about their own shows. Are you prepared in this case to say that it was just not a great show? Uh, um, look, I, th- I think from the, the scheduling of that show, you can pretty much see we knew what we had. We're trying to make the best of what was going to be an inevitably bad situation. And uh, we moved on quickly and and probably the less said about the experience, the better. <laughs> but I, I think it was unreasonable to think that an underperforming US format could be be fixed for this marketplace, despite despite the best intentions of, um, of people involved. But um, yeah, I think, uh, I think yeah, we, you can clearly see we knew what we had in the end. Well, let's go from uh, underperforming to very well performing. Dancing with the Stars was next, and that was definitely a runaway success. What, was it hard to get the old gang back together, or did it all fall into place easily? Look, these these things are never easy to um, to organise, uh, and and this was a real race because we we only commissioned the show in December, and we were very firm 
with that nostalgic all-stars vision that we wanted. And um, some of the participants uh, in the show certainly took some convincing on that vision. Um, but but our own, you know, our own team led by Andrew Backwell, and then you know the, it was a, a Warner Brothers and BBC co-production. They all worked their asses off to make that happen, and and we were we were stoked stoked with the result when we um, when we sent it out onto the battlefield. So so what was the strategy behind doing the All Stars version and doing it? pre-recorded and as a two-week event yeah, yeah. um look when, when the australian open moved we, had, we we knew we had to make some moves we wanted to make sure that big brother launched in in cleaner air away from those final weeks of maths it was clear maths was going to you know run across easter um to do that we needed a strippable show that would counter program maths and and it, we needed a show that would appeal to to an older audience to to, to counter program maths uh, with dancing, we knew we couldn't just roll out same old dancing. We needed to reimagine the show somewhat. Um, you know, it's been cancelled. The regular version's been cancelled twice in this market before, like a number of other shows. Mm. So the nostalgic All Stars version, using the original players, was was the promo hook. We thought we could work. Uh, again, we needed it to be stripped, so we needed the show to be pre-recorded. And also, again, just with the, the danger of COVID interrupting production, live live just wasn't wasn't an option an option for us. So, yeah, pre-recorded All Stars ticked a number of boxes that we thought would give the show, you know, the best chance of making a comeback in this market. Well, I'm pretty sure you know. No, I'm going to ask this question: Are we going to see Dancing with the Stars back in 2022 in either an All Stars version or just a normal version? And if it did come back, would you like to see the original gang back together again, if if that's possible? Look, that, that clearly uh, that version resonated. Um, I'd, I'd like to see it back, but you know, with, with these things, like I said before, it's never easy to get together and a and a number of. Um, a number of planets that uh, that have to align to to make sure that all happened. But yeah, I'd I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it come back. I think it did a did a very good job for us this year. All right. So more success, Big Brother. Uh, genuinely, simply addictive. You must be happy with what's going out. Last year was great, but just some of those small learning lessons have been formulated better this year, and the audience gets more of the housemates, and and there's less emphasis on the challenges. How, how do you feel the show's going? Uh, look, we're we're very happy with it. I mean, there's there's some key measures I use to judge whether a show's a success or not, and a lot of it comes down to basic maths around the audience delivery, which. For some reason, a lot of commentators struggle to understand. Um, so if I look through that checklist, you know, is it is it holding audience better year on year than Lego and MasterChef? Yes, it is. Is the gap closer versus those shows than last year? Yes, it is. Does it have much bigger streaming shows than both those, but much bigger streaming numbers than both those shows? Yes, it does. So, and then is our sales department happy with it? Yes, they are. So on those measures, you know, it's, it's a big success in my mind. There was a story that, some story that came out a few weeks ago that Seven was unhappy with the casting. But look, those sort of critiques are coming from people who wish they were making the content hmm. decisions rather than the people who are making the decisions. Because my team, you know, they're bloody delighted with it. And Pete Newman and Amelia Fisk from Endemol Shine, they feel it's one of the strongest reality casts that they've ever assembled. And look at, so I just go back to the performance year on year versus its competitors. 
And I, I think things are going very well for this show. We've, we've commissioned, you know, Big Brother VIP for the end of the year and, and it'll be back again next year. So we have, we have every confidence in this show and, and what it delivers for us. Well, Big Brother was obviously on 10 and then later on 9 and the format kind of died, even though it was still popular and running in the US. How, how did 7 come to acquire it in the first place? Um, the, when Mark Fennessy was at um, Endemol Shine, he, he'd, been, he'd been pitching it for a while. And um, when James joined the organisation uh, and, and the, the new you know, externally focused commissioning strategy that 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 gave us the opportunity to to commission the show, but it wasn't it wasn't a straightforward commission. Um, and Andrew Backwell, who now works with me, he left a bit of a poison pill in the old uh, in the old contract for the show where where Nine last had it. They they had a matching right in terms of of our bid, oh. so uh, we we had you know several several weeks of a, of a very nervous wait in the lead up to our um, upfronts when the, the clock was ticking down as to, as to whether nine um, would match it. And then big brother wouldn't have been, um, been uh, an option for us, but thankfully, thankfully they, um, thankfully they didn't. And here we are in the, in the middle of, um, of season two. So um, it worked out, it worked out well for us, but it was, it was a nervous time. So the million dollar question is, and a lot of people ask this, why the format change? Why not keep the show live and go down the way of how the show was previously known? Yes, yes. The the, the diehard the diehard original fans are um are very uh very very vocal on on this. And, they are. And get it. But uh, <laughs> if we'd gone with a live show in in twenty twenty, we wouldn't have had a show um, due to the COVID shutdown. So our schedule would have been even more disrupted than than it was. And uh, I. Even me, I don't. I don't think I would have had enough cat shows to cover that one uh, <laughs> in, in in the library, and they, they would have, they would have uh, tired of that pretty quickly. Um, but I think I've said this before. You know, the, the live version had been cancelled twice in in this marketplace, so we we needed to look at how could we make the show different if we brought it back. And and Endemol Shine presented a reimagined version that we believed in, and 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 it features the sort of you know, more layered and faster paced storytelling that we think, you know, this new generation of younger viewers respond to. And, and as I say, you know, we're in season two, we've got VIP coming and we've got season three coming. So, you know, it's, it's, it's working. And uh, I, I don't think we're going to change something that's working. You know, you're going to take lessons out of every season and we're taking lessons out of this one. And, and I think there's some other things we can do to potentially expand the the show. I'm not talking episode numbers. I'm just talking about other 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 things um, that, that that we'll look into. But I just think you know, look at what's happening in you know in in Melbourne as as we speak. It's just yeah. it's just not an option to to go back to to live at the moment. And and this version is working for us, so we're um, we're sticking with it. So obviously Big Brother on at the moment. So I guess the next question is, what do you have up your sleeve for the second half, which obviously was your, your stronger point last year? Yeah, and I think it's going to be very strong for us again this year. After Big Brother, we've got Farmer Wants a Wife, which will take us up to the Olympics. Farmer was our biggest entertainment show in, in 2020, and we're, and we're very positive on this, on this new series. Out of the Olympics, uh, we'll be launching The Voice. Then we've got AGT 
SAS Australia still to come and then, and then Big Brother VIP at the end of the year. Um, in terms of drama, we're launching RFDS out of the Olympics and I'm very hopeful that we're going to get uh, Australian Gangster away this year as well. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll ask about that shortly. Um, one of the shows you mentioned in there was The Voice, a, a show previously screened on Nine. There are a few jives from Nine about picking up their show to make your s- schedule successful. And then we hear they're doing Seven's Beauty and the Geek. Is it all just fun comments or is, or is this for real? Are they trying to, you know, try to punch the tyre in your opposition? Is, is that a deliberate strategy? Look, The Voice was a very successful show for Nine, both on, on broadcast and BVOD. And it was during Nine's results, I think Hugh Mark specifically referenced The Voice as being a show that was too expensive for them. And, you know, they were wavering. And James reached out to David Mott. And with the help of Andrew Backwell, we did a, we did a deal very quickly. So it was, look, it was an opportunistic pickup that, yes, we did feel it would make an, a big impact on our schedule, you know, because we, we, when you're a programmer, you're always, a, you know, feel like you're a couple of formats short. And we, so we felt it make a big impact and then it would hurt their schedule and force them into some quick commissions, which is, um, which is what they did. So, uh, I mean, I, well, not paying too much attention to, you know, those sort of jives flying around, that's part and parcel of it. But, you know, we, we did it because we thought it had a, a, a hell of a lot of upside for us and perhaps some downside for nine and and time will time will tell on that i guess as we go through this quarter and when we launch the voice out of the olympics we can all we can all sit back and be experts after the fact when when that happens a show you mentioned a moment ago australian gangster it feels like that's been on the upfront promo since 1994 <laughs> are we ever going to see this show look i, I it's it's been held back due to uh, trials that uh, involving some of the, the people that are featured in the in the program and and COVID disrupted the timelines of those trials. Again, it's been very very frustrating. Uh, but the latest intel I have is that we we can play it this year. So I think you can bank on it um, coming out of the Olympics uh, somewhere for us. But yeah, a long time a long time coming and. Um, Look, it, it, you know those sort of things are, are very frustrating. Um, you know, you've 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 spent the money, and then when you got to sit on something for three years, it's it's bloody annoying. Another show you mentioned, SAS Australia, is back with a celebrity edition and a, I suppose, everyday Australian edition. I believe the celebrity one is filming or has been filmed. How's that going? Uh, yeah, celebrity finished a, a few weeks ago. Uh, the punter version we've just completed. That's going to be. Uh, a special event called Hell Week, but no, it's all it's all gone gone very well. You know, it's it's a it's a show we've got um, you know big hopes for again um, this year. It was kind of a, a, it. I think it took people by surprise uh, last year, and it was a you know it delivered for us on broadcast and and massively on Seven Plus. It's um, it was um, it was the biggest our biggest broadcast show ever on um, on Seven Plus. Uh, so it was a, a great result, but uh, no, it's going going really well. So we're very hot on this format. With the celebrity edition, are there any surprises in there? Ones that people thought might be super good, but are struggling, or thought they would do average, but are actually doing super well? Yeah, I think this, this show always surprises because it's a combination of physical fitness and and mental toughness, and it's that mental toughness that um, you know catches people out, particularly 
you know, people who are, might be very physical and considered front runners. Um, this for this season, you know, participants knew it wasn't going to be a picnic based on, you know, they'd, they'd seen season one last oh. year. So we've really had to up the ante on the, on the show this year. And I think, wow. uh, you know, the scale of those physical challenges and then those mirror room discussions, I think, I think it's really going to shock people this year, just, just how intense this show is, but you know, that's, that's what the audience of this show wants and expects. And uh, I, I think we're really going to deliver for them this year. Just wanted to move on to the multi-channels and really just one question. Uh, are there any shows you can mention that are still to come in 2021 on, on the multi-channels? Yeah, look, uh, on, I'll, I'll just talk about Seven Mate because um, you know, Seven Mate's the multi where, where we do a number of um, original commissions. So we've got a bunch more shows coming from Paulie Fennick this year. And we've got a show uh, from uh, Rick Donald. It's called it's called Australia's uh, Sexiest Tradie. And it's a bit of a, uh, a, a sort of fly on the fly on the wall comedy doco about about Australia's sexiest tradie. That, that's that's very, very funny. Uh, and, and I think sits it's right in, um, you know, uh, Right in seven mates, sweet sweet spot there, and and look, mates going to continue to invest in those in that that big character factual programming, you know, like like, like the Outback Truckers sort of stuff, which which yeah. recently celebrated its its hundredth episode. So yeah, there'll be more big factual and 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 more big comedy uh, coming coming for seven mate this year. All right, we're going to jump all over the place now. Um, I've got to ask about my kitchen rules. It's it's obviously mm. been rested this year, uh, with Seven taking on the new direction. We spoke about that at the start of the interview. Uh, there's already rumours flying that MKR is set for a comeback in 2022. So let's quash the rumours by asking uh, directly: Is MKR coming back to Seven? Well, it's not coming back this year, obviously. Uh, we we've said, you know, we'd we'd like to revisit the format at some point. But at the moment, it feels it feels way too soon. I mean, I don't, I don't know where these stories come about. You know, asking production companies to come and pitch or whatever on the on the show. It's 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 certainly it's certainly not anywhere in in next year's schedule at uh, at this point in time. Um, but it is you know with if if we can again reimagine that that format and and come back with something that we feel you know, could resonate. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at it. It was incredibly successful for us, you know, across a, across a 10 year, a 10 year period. So, you know, you, if you look at what people are commissioning at, at the moment, there's not, you know, during COVID, the, the international format pipelines have really dried up. So people go back to look at what's, what's worked in, in, in the past. And um, that was a, you know, a very big, show for us but it, it's still very very recent history and you know the, the performance at the start of of last year you know you, you don't you don't forget that in a hurry so it's yeah it's what can we do to reinvent it where can we schedule it you know who's going to be on it all the, all those sort of questions but I, I i would suggest it's a it's a ways off that sort of um that sort of thinking fair enough Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, I wanted to move to another topic. Nine has been using a strategy lately about premiering uh, shows on the main channel and then the rest of the episodes to play out on Nine now to obviously promote that service. Inside Legoland premiered on Nine but you could only watch the rest of the episodes on Nine now. Um, and same with the new show, Resident Alien, two episodes yep. in one night on Nine and the rest on Nine now. Maybe it's a good promotion for Nine now, but obviously very frustrating for viewers. I haven't seen Seven copy that plan. Are there benefits to doing this? And is this something Seven is likely to do? Oh, look, possibly. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out um, in, in the future. We've, we've run plenty of series where we've made the whole series available after the launch episode. And, and what we tend to do then is continue, you know, continue to run those, those subsequent episodes late night on, on whatever channel it launched on. So I, I like doing that because I think it's a constant way to remind people that the episodes are all available. You, you know, you can promo within that show to push them to... Um, to seven plus to, to consume those if they want to want to binge them all but it also caters for those people who you know may not have access to that and may still be wanting to watch on a on a, on a weekly basis um I, I don't think either either approach is 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 wrong I, you know i get i get why they they would do that but no i would i wouldn't rule it out in 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 the future you know seven seven plus is um you know is becoming increasingly important to us it was actually the the number one um uh, commercial streaming service uh, last year um so we we're very pleased with that and you know it is going to have i think going forward you're going to see more more exclusives um on seven plus so no i certainly i certainly wouldn't rule out doing that sort of thing in the future all righty uh when you have a show like maths on a competing network do you program to honestly try and beat them or is it more tactical and you try to go for a completely different audience and almost accept defeat? Um, no, I, I, you have to keep trying to attack to, to get the best outcome and, and force some change and improvement. I think if you look back over the years, nine, nine through everything but the kitchen sink at MKR across across 10 years and those yeah. those shows that, you know, they they take a while to either you know grind down or the, or they or they burn out and look tr trust me it feels much better when you have that juggernaut show <laughs> i know i felt much better when we had mkr than being on the receiving end of of maths but so no you do you you keep on attacking you whether it's whether it's counter programming or if you found some amazing new new format that you know you thought you could have a a real crack with but but, but it, you know we we need to keep it in, in perspective, much like what happened last year, that, that, that Q1 is just one part of a long, of a long year. And it can yeah. get very, very close from there. You know, um, maths is one show for nine. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we will continue to attack, I guess I, I better figure out what I'm, what I'm going to do next year. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have a few ideas. Um, yeah, I got, a, got a couple, got a couple. 
Let's talk Australian drama. Gone are the, the days of 40 weeks worth of episodes of, say, Blue Healers or All Saints. Australian drama is expensive and it's lucky to crack 500,000 viewers. Do you think people are not invested in Australian drama these days or they prefer to watch when they want to watch it on catch up? Or, or is it that you think the quality is just not there right now? Mm. Well, we still do over 40 weeks of drama a year with Home and Away, which is the number, the number one Australian <laughs> And you know that that's that's where we concentrate our investment, given it's important to to our seven pm slot, obviously, and um, and very important to seven plus, where it, where its numbers are continuing to grow all the time, and it's it's a great drama gateway into all the other dramas that we offer on on seven plus. And I, I'm not really sure it's a quality issue. You know, pe- people just have people have so much choice on it, SVOD, and it's such a vastly different viewing experience i think it's really hard for any new aussie drama to you know to cut through all that drama clutter and and make any noise and 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 the other thing is it's it's they're, they're really vulnerable to these 730 um stripped reality shows uh, which a lot of these shows you know if, if they run over a drama that they're on another channel most of the time they'll they'll really knock it around mm. and a lot of these these reality shows don't necessarily flow very well into into dramas some some are okay um, but but a lot of drama is um, you know it's driven by by 40 plus viewers typically um, yeah. but I, I don't I don't think it's a it's a quality issue it's just it's just hard to get a drama a drama up in, a, in amongst all that all that other drama noise. Let's go to a, a bit of a learning curve for the listeners. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't want to give away too many in- industry secrets, but can you tell us the process of how something goes from being an idea to being on television? So let's say an idea for a new Australian drama or even a, a new reality show comes across yeah. your desk. Yeah. What would happen at that point from reading that to then being on air at, say, 7.30 on whatever night? Yeah, well, if it was a... You know, I, I guess nowadays more more reality shows uh, come across your desk. But uh, but if, if if somebody had a had a new show, uh, a, a production company, they they and they'd probably be pitching it to everyone. You know, that they've got certain ones that would have been sitting in the catalogue for uh, for a while. You know, if you look at something like um like you know Beauty and the Geek, clearly nine nine just decided to commission that. That wasn't really being pitched around and been on the shelf for some time. But if it's a new, if it's a new hot format, I, I guess they'd, be, they'd pitch it to everyone. If you believe in it and, you, and you've got a slot and you've got the budget, you'd be, you'd be talking further. And, and then in this market, they'd probably just ring all our competitors and say seven's <laughs> interested and try and start a bidding war. That's, that's, that's probably, you know, that's what happens uh, most of the time. And, and to be honest, all three com- commercial networks, they, they tend to chase the same thing. So if there's a, if there's a new idea that that's um, you know, uh, and, and you believe completely in the idea, or or, or even if, if it's premiered strongly overseas, we, we'll all generally generally be after it, and then, and then it's about you know who who puts forward the most compelling deal to the to the production company, and from there, if if you secure it, you know you'll be you'll be looking at at, at who's going to produce it, where you're going to shoot it. All the all those production things, and there'll be a, a timeline based on on when you when you wish to schedule that show. Um, so it's 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 pretty much as um, 
you know, as, as, as simple as that. Um, you know, dramas can be a bit different because there might be an idea, but it, it might, require, might require further development, particularly script development to get things to a, to a, a stage. And, you know, in the, in the past, we've, we've often invested in, in, in script development on dramas. So, you know, it's different, it's different depending on, on, on what, the, um, what the genre is. But, um, you know, production companies, they love a good bidding war. Hmm. So, uh, so, so what about overseas acquisition? I'm, I'm gathering it would be the same answer. So if there's a new talent show that no one's ever heard of, it's called World's Best Singers and it's currently airing in the UK and a production company like Endemol Shine has the format. Yeah. What, would, yeah. what would happen then? Just, just well, pitch just it to seven and then shop it around? Yeah, well, I mean, so it, it's, it, it'll be the same, same sort of process, I, 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 would, I would think, you know, it, that's, um, if, it's, if, if everyone's interested, it's, it's, it's happy days for the, um, for the mm. production company. All right, I want to ask about ratings. Um, before, you know, years gone by, it was easy. With 1.2 million, that's a success. Now you get a show like, like Love Island that rates pretty poorly overnight, but has a huge engagement, good demos and catch up. Is, is there a really big analysis now that takes place these days as to what makes a show worthy of, of being a success or failure? Well, for us, it's a pretty simple analysis. It's basically the cost of the show versus overnight ratings plus consolidated plus streaming and the revenue written into that show as a result of those numbers and any and any premium integration is and therefore is it something that you'd you'd go again? It's kind it's kind of that simple when you you know when you when you're working uh, within an organisation it's a television network it's a it's a very simple analysis that'll give you a pretty quick answer um, as to as to whether you're going to recommission a show or not. Well, James Warden's put out the idea there to do seven day ratings uh, gone are the overnights I guess. I, I, I gather that's to get a holistic number about an audience of the show. Can, can you explain the thinking about providing a seven-day ratings report as, to, as opposed to overnights? We just think it's stupid to put out the lowest possible number for a show each day. You know, it's this situation where we seem to be measuring ourselves into, uh, into oblivion, you know, versus, uh, you know, an industry like radio that still relies on wonderful diaries and the uh, accuracy of those um so that it's it's as simple as that we each day we put and and when you know and when if you're just putting out metro numbers you're putting a lower figure out again versus a a, a national number um you know covid has delayed the introduction of 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 voz um with oztam which you know we do hope will provide a more holistic view of, of, of the world, but, um, you know, uh, we're just trying to point out the, the, the idiocy of putting out a show's lowest possible number, and it's as simple as that. All right, a whole new tangent. I wanted to do a what could have been question. Has there been any shows you looked at, passed on, and then they became a, a big elsewhere? Um, I'm thinking, for example, Seven or Nine may have passed on the mark on the mass singer or something is is there some examples that went on to become bigger hits and you were pitched now you're just trying to make me cry Aaron. <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of those sorts of examples I mean, you take the mass singer we we bid on that pretty sure nine bid on it 10 bid the most that's you know that's 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 what happened there or 10 did a did a more attractive deal um yeah Nin, ninja warrior was something that seven walk, walked right up to the starting line on 
um, oh. and, uh, and, and talked ourselves out of. I mean, you can, you, I, I think there'd be various sliding door moments for all networks um, across the years. I, I remember, <laughs> this is ages ago now, but we, we, owned, um, we owned Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares when it first came out. It was being run at, at um, I think we were running at 9.30 somewhere. And um, it, it, it did okay, but you know, a member of the team wasn't wasn't keen on the, keen on the show or, or Gordon Ramsay, and therefore subsequent season wasn't picked up. Nine picked it up, ran it at seven thirty, and it became a bloody juggernaut. And was like, oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. And I, I remember back back in the day, they they'd run the they'd run the same episode, you know, like one week week to the next, just turn it around. And it'd still rate the same. It was it was quite extraordinary. So if everyone's had those sort of nightmare situations or or, or shows that just kind of um, you know people have said, oh, that that'll never work," and and they and they and they pop. I always used to take great pleasure in um, uh, back you know back when when overseas dramas used to do um, do huge numbers. You know, for you know formulating the the, the campaigns for those shows to to really, to really make them pop, or picking up, picking up a show that was on the open market, like Downton Abbey was was on the the open market, and yeah. because traditionally um, those UK dramas tended to skew very old, um, no one was no one was really interested in it, and um, we we picked it up and we did this, you know, I guess you you'd call it the you know, four four quadrant style campaign and um we did uh you know we 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 synced a, a, a current music track to um to a period show and we got a massive roll up even younger people those early yeah. seasons of, of Downton Abbey and you know it was something that you know because it was sitting there and and nobody wanted we weren't paying a huge amount of money for it so you love you love getting you love getting cost effective uh wins in this in this game to you know to to balance the um you know the the the, the high investment and high cost of um of australian made uh, made programming so but no there's been plenty of ones that got away everyone's got nightmare stories about that yeah i said remember obviously downtown abbey was big for, for seven i think sunday nights at 8 30 it was a huge um a viewer type question one for the viewers the annoyance of, of the viewer is is pulling shows before they end their run all three commercial networks um have a list this year and every year seven does too especially with the multi-channels in terms of having four channels late slots weekend multi-channel slots how come we're still in the pattern of not playing out shows now i will premise to say that outside of obdocs on the on the main channel uh, for seven has actually played out most things but for the people that hate it why would a network show something at 8 30 and then nine months later show the rest of the episodes at midnight on a multi-channel if that was the plan then why not screen them at midnight immediately to play them out yeah, well, Aaron, you and I have been having very lively arguments about this for a number of a number of years. All, all I all I can do is speak for the the main channel here, and I, I think, as you said, I think you'll find we have played out, you know, all our all our dramas and and, and anything serialized. But you know, on factual stuff that's not serialized and, and tends to be, you know, slot filler for a period of time, and 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 you know, you're still paying good money for this stuff, so. 
we might run a couple of episodes to, you know, I don't know. If, I'm just trying to think of something like emergency, you know, code red or something. Ambulance. Ambulance, whatever. And then you're, and it'll, and particularly where you've got like, you know, split markets with sport and that sort of thing, that they're handy things to use. And, and you may not play them in another market because you're thinking down the track, I'm going to have the, you know, kind of the flip side of that and I'll, I'll need them there and, and, and they'll have some, they'll have some value. So things that have, got, have, have future value, particularly on the main channel, there's, I, I just don't want to burn them off and they're not serialized. So I, I, I really don't, I, I don't see that as an issue. I mean, on the, on the multi-channels, I'd probably need specific examples. So then I'd, I'd refer you to the multi-channel program and have the discussion <laughs> with them. But I, yeah, I think you'll find with, with dramas, we, we, we tend to play all of those, those out, but yeah, split channel sport programming will always mean there's, you know, there's, runs of things that may may not have played in certain markets but a lot of the time I, I just say even if it's something hasn't played in all markets make it available on seven plus and those people that are really keen on it can hopefully still um consume it there if they, if they want to well here's a subject that has uh, two camps uh what is your view on fast tracking us shows now the positive is that you obviously keep the show relevant and avoid spoilers and keep the viewer happy. But the negative is that the US never aired 22 straight episodes. So, for example, 10 is fast-tracking NCIS and Bull, but it's new, new, repeat, repeat, new, repeat, yeah. new, 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 repeat, repeat. Um, that can be even more frustrating for viewers. So how do you find that balance? I think you still have to look at shows, um, overseas shows, on a case-by-case basis. Uh, something like the the Good Doctor, we don't see any change in numbers around whether the show's, you know, sh- showing a few months later or, or showing, you know, the the day after, which is where we normally get to. Um, so those established US shows, uh, you don't really see a difference to bet whether they're far away or close to US broadcast. And, and plus, to your point, our audience is not going to cop preemptions. Uh, so having an uninterrupted run is very important to us. I mean, in the US, they get away with showing repeats. You just don't get away with that in um, in this market. But I, I still think, yeah, case case by case, um, and things of you know, with the uh, with, with some of the loss of power of what these shows um, uh, you know used to do used to do versus uh, what they do now. It's it's probably a a, a little less relevant. But uh, look, I I always live you know I always live in hope that. Um, you know, some something's going to pop. I mean, you, you still you look at what drama. You know, the US is still driven by drama, and and the UK. When you look at those line of duty numbers, um, uh, what that's done recently. I mean, drama's drama's still massive. We're a bit of a, a peculiar market here in Australia, in in, in that we're we're completely driven by by stripped uh, reality shows. But you know, we got the good doctor to pop. I get that it was like three or four years ago, but people had written US drama off then. Mm. Um, and, and that's certainly over delivered, but um, yeah, I mean, it, case by case basis. And I'm, I'm always hopeful that we'll be able to pick up a, um, an overseas drama that can do good numbers for us. I want to go back to uh, ratings again. Uh, Maths obviously stole some glory at the start of the year, but you have big brother, farmer wants a wife, SAS, Australia's got talent, the voice, all new Monty. 
So my question is, can Seven win the year in both total uh, viewers and key demos in 2021? Absolutely. I, I, I believe we can. You look at how, how close it was last year. Now, you compare this year versus last year. We were a lot further behind at this same point last year. You know, as, as soon as I stopped fighting or believing that we, you know, thinking we can't do that, I should probably stop showing up for work. You know, yeah. every year it's too close to, to, to ever give up. And, and we're sitting in a better position this year already versus last year, which a lot of people don't seem to comprehend, but we are. Uh, so, no, I think we've got a really good chance, particularly with the shows uh, we have uh, still to come this year. It, it feels like television has done everything, cooking, singing, dancing, talent, dating. Do you think we'll ever see any more original formats or is everything now just a variation of the, of the same thing? Look, I, I don't think television will ever lose its ability to surprise. Something always pops up. But I get, look, I guess you could say that everything is ultimately derivative of something from, from somewhere. But, you know, thing, formats always pop up uh, each year. And I think once, once those um, format development pipelines start functioning again, um, you know, we, we, we will see brave new ideas coming, coming to our screens. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist there. Well, not talking about original now, but it's been the year of reboots, uh, especially across America. I would say Nine weren't so successful with rebooting Sea Change, but, you know, could we see Blue Healers back or another seven blasts from the past? Blue Healers will not be returning. There, <laughs> I'll shut that down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, but is it possible that we, we might go back to some to some old shows or, or, or reboots in the future? Oh, well, look, I mean, I, I think when you look at what the the local networks have, have commissioned this year, they are they are going back to, to old shows. I mean, we we brought back a rebooted version of, of Dancing with the Stars, so yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it rule. It. And we've discussed we've discussed MKR. So I wouldn't rule it out, but in terms of a, a, a drama like that, no, I, I can't see, I can't see that. It, it's, um, you know, it would, uh, I think you, it'd be more likely things in, in the, uh, in the reality space at, at this point, but I can't think of any off the, off the top of my head. Well, everyone loves to play uh, programmer. I, I do as well. Um, this, this, oh, really? this, should... <laughs> <laughs> This should have aired after Easter. This should have aired Sunday nights, not Tuesday nights. This should have aired once a week. Everyone is a great programmer, especially in hindsight. I know I've, you know, obviously certainly thrown some of, uh, some of my opinions your way at times, but for the average Joe Blow, what goes into scheduling a show? I mean, what are all the factors you consider? As they say, programming opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's important to, to sort of point out, I mean, sh shows just aren't thrown at a wall. Uh, the pe you know, those people across all the networks, they've been involved in, in this sort of decision-making for years and they live and breathe television ratings and how shows launch and that sort of thing. They're all very skilled at their, their, their jobs. Um, so, look, I, I guess it, it all comes down to the audience you're trying to attract. 
So, for, you know, for all of us, the, the big 7.30 p.m. shows are, are the most important because of the investment around them, the most important ones to get right. So you're going to be looking at what's, what's the competition going to be on our, on our competitors? What's, what's the marketing platform? You know, are school holidays a factor? Are public holidays a factor? You know, are we going to have momentum leading into the, the launch of this show? What's, what's the springboard to get it off, off the deck? So, you know, a lot, a lot of factors will, will come into play uh, when launching a, a, a big new, new tentpole and, and, and where in the year you do that. For um, other shows, for um, you know, for nine o'clock dramas, that sort of thing, you'll you'll be looking at at, at lead-in um, that flow from you know the reality show. As as I said, a lot of these these reality shows at seven thirty, they they don't provide um, uh, excellent lead-ins to to not nine o'clock or or eight thirty or eight thirty dramas. Uh, your people people often come in just just to watch that that 7:30 p.m. show. So uh, you know a, a lot of factors w- will go into into those into those nine o'clock shows depending on how the show skews. You know U.S. drama versus U.K. drama. You know or, or is it a you know a, a some sort of another reality show or, or, or factual show for for nine o'clock. So. There's, you know, a, a lot of questions get get asked about 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 every slot that you're um that yeah. you're looking at. Well, uh, also thank you there for the promo. I, I got that asshole phrase that we can use for the promo for the podcast. No, just, that's that's an that's an oldie but a goodie. I I uh, I can't. I certainly cannot take credit for that. I've just ripped that off from somebody else. All right. Uh, final question, Angus, uh, director of network programming. When the network is riding a massive high like it did post-2004 for like 15 years in a row, the champagne is popping, everyone's throwing respect and admiration towards yourself and the team. When you have a bump in the road, um, 2019 or 2020, uh, Seven was completely panned by some sections um, and and there was huge praise for Nine. But the end result was that Seven only lost the, the network year by literally half a point. But Anyway, when, when this happens, I guess there is negativity and, and obviously less champagne. So mm-hmm. is the life of a network programmer all it's dreamt it could be? Or when under pressure, can it really sting? Look, I think there was a lot of people waiting for, for Seven to, to fall over. And that's just tall poppy syndrome for you. And that, that, that happens everywhere. And I, I, I've said before, you know, there are people that constantly hate us and are, and are waiting there to jump on us but that, that just serves as motivation for the, the for the team here to to do better but you know the, you, you talk about you talk about the champagne uh when when we were leading i i wish there was a lot more of it that happened during <laughs> during that period actually we, we we got marked very hard internally even when we were doing well it was it was often never seen as um as good enough and it was a, it was a very tough environment that 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 took um quite a bit of resilience to to get through i mean if you're someone who's whose feelings were easily hurt you you wouldn't you wouldn't have lasted long in that sort of environment you know you need to you need to keep your, your stress and the, and the pressure in, in in check and you just need to remain calm and you always got to be reassuring other people uh, in the organization of the programming plan and you've got to you got to shut down panic when it happens you know when when when, when things don't work i mean i've i've got you know, my, my my equivalence of the other networks, I, I've I've the utmost respect for because there's a there's a long line of people externally and internally who think they mm. can do it do it better, and, and often that comes 
with the benefit of the 901 ratings hindsight. Mm. Um, but the, the, the decision making around scheduling, commissioning, all those sort of things, it, it's 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 never as simple as it, as it might appear to um, an outsider looking in. There are a lot of machinations with, within a within a television network that um, that people don't see and 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 don't understand. Um, but look, in in the end, if you're the programmer, win, lose, or draw, um, you have to own it every morning. And, and the, the, the phrase is never truer in television about success has many fathers and and failure is an orphan. And mm. um, you know, uh, I, I can't. When a show fails, do you, does anybody um, ever put their their hand up saying, "I, you know, I uh, I contributed to that failure"? I've never heard a production company saying. <laughs> <laughs> Putting their hand up and, and owning a failure, they 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 kind of move on. But but that's but that's mm. that's that's the gig. I mean, look, it, it, you know, you're talking about stress and things. In the end, we're not we're not saving lives here. Mm. We're not we're not we're not um, frontline health workers doing anything worthy like that. We're creating entertainment, and um, you know, we're at the the team at Seven. We're, we're having a we're having a good time here at Seven at the moment. There's a good good vibe pumping through the place. We could we can see progress happening but you know i've talked about that schedule plan we're in year two of a three-year plan to rebuild the schedule with with really exciting new new projects um we're we're having a we're having a good time we feel like things are turning around yeah for sure well uh angus i I really appreciate your honesty here today and i love learning more about you as an individual and how it works behind the scenes The, the programming and development job is is the one every viewer wants every viewer plays especially in hindsight but it's one of the most pressure cooker jobs going around and uh, so many elements rely on decisions that you make. Um, I do want to wish Seven the best for the rest of 2021. I genuinely mean that. Um, you don't do these interviews too often, so I appreciate it. Obviously, pers- persistence pays in my case. So uh, thank you very much, Angus. Thank you, Aaron, for having me and uh, best of luck to you too for the uh, remainder of the year. Talk to you soon, mate. All right, Director of Network Programming at Channel 7, Angus Ross there. So many insights. Awesome. Well, that's it for another TV Black Box one-on-one podcast. You can catch all the latest television news and exclusives at tvblackbox.com.au. Thank you for your company. Until next time, look after yourselves and bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.